Welcome back to In the Queue. I am your co-host Andrew, and Pete Doctor continues his streak of films that make me weep. Oh, at one point or another, you felt that. Sometimes earlier in the film, sometimes later in the film. It depends on the movie. You felt sadness. I did feel sadness. Well, I'm Phil, your other co-host, and there are more emotions than are represented in this film, Mr. Doctor (laughs) (laughs) Pete. Oh, semantics. Uh, The film that we're talking about, as you may or may not have guessed, is Inside Out, the new Disney Pixar film uh, that has been doing gangbusters at the box office. Mm -hmm. Really been killing it. Beat out Jurassic World. This past weekend. And uh, critical acclaim and audience acclaim, too. Indeed. Acclaim all around, yeah. uh, which is pretty typical for a Pixar film. But uh, before we get into the conversation about this particular film, I'm going to tell you how you can find us on the web. First, you can go to our website. It's www.in-the-q. That's the letter Q.com. There we post all of these podcasts. And there is a comment section below each entry. Mm-hmm. And you can leave suggestions for us. You can also leave us feedback if you would like. We'd love to hear it. But more importantly, you can leave us suggestions for films you would like us to watch. And we will have you on the show and we'll talk to you about those movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a great opportunity for you to interact with us, for us to interact with you. And we really love it. So please avail yourself of that resource. You can also do the same thing at our Facebook page. Our Facebook page can be found by searching on Facebook for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. There you can leave suggestions, and you can also see the various different uh, insightful additions Mm. that we post to our uh, podcasts that might lend a little bit more insight into that particular film. Yes. Or just provide you with a laugh. Because from time to time. We need those in life. We need more joy in our lives, don't we? Lastly, you can find us on iTunes by searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And subscribe to our podcast, and then it will be delivered directly to your lap. I thought you were going to say your doorstep. <laughs> nope, to your lap. With a bottle of milk at your door. <laughs> Indeed. So... As I said, the film we're talking about today is Inside Out. Uh, As we mentioned in the opening, Pete Docter directed this particular film. He's directed two other films for Pixar. Up, Mm -hmm. the very popular and um, critically acclaimed Up. And my personal favorite Pixar film to this day, which is Monsters Incorporated. Way back in 2001, I think. It's been a while. Great film, though. And uh, it concerns the inner life of a young girl named Riley. She lives in Minnesota, and her family moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And inside her head are the sort of five anthropomorphized personifications of five key emotions, joy, disgust, fear, anger, and sadness. Mm. And for most of Riley's young life, her uh, memories, which are made and are uh, manifested in the form of these sort of glowing crystal balls, uh, most of her memories are joyful memories. There are other ones as well, but all of her core memories 
which produce islands sort of in this this uh, you know physical world within her brain mm-hmm. most of her core all of her core memories in fact have been joyful memories until she makes this move to San Francisco her entire world is upended joy and sadness get into a bit of a squabble because it seems that whenever sadness gets close to a joyful memory she taints it with her sadness and a joyful memory becomes a sad one mm-hmm. And this is something that Joy can't understand, doesn't like, and feels that it is her duty to stop. So after a bit of a tussle, those two get thrown out of the control room inside Riley's brain, leaving only fear, disgust, and anger behind. <laughs> so these are the only emotions that she can feel. And, uh, and so what we're treated to is a bit of an adventure inside Riley's mind, while in the external world she is feeling very real feelings and emotions or trying to deal with the real world as best she can with what emotions are accessible to her Mm -hmm. as a result of this very, very jarring change in her life. Now, if that sounds overly complicated, that's probably because it is to some extent. It is complicated, yeah. It is complicated. And uh, I think that this is in certainly the Pixar tradition to some extent and definitely harkens back to Pete Doctor's previous work, especially, as I mentioned, Monsters Incorporated, which uh, gives very intricate, gets very interested in intricate sort of machinations of things that we otherwise take for granted or, or don't fully understand. In Monsters Incorporated, there is an entire world called Monstropolis where the monsters live and they have this factory where these doors get uh, sort of placed and the scarers, which are the monsters themselves, go into children's bedrooms through means of a portal and scare them and come back. And there's a lot of intricate details. Uh, There's a very famous sequence towards the end of the film where they're riding doors through an entire warehouse full of doors that has all these slides and crazy things going on. And... uh, and this reminded me of that in a lot of ways, um, sort of a very complex and very intellectualized uh, visualization of uh, an abstract concept. Absolutely, yeah, because more so than ever before in any of their other films, you know, Pixar is is concocting a, a physical world out of the abstract. You know, yeah. They had to come up with, you know, what is the design going to be for a memory? And mm-hmm. a memory in the film is represented by like an orb, almost like a bowling ball, the way they shoot yeah. <laughs> up out of the tube and then get like, uh, you know, stored with the other uh, crystal memories. And they glow. And um, uh, the, the world of um, core memories uh, also is um, very sort of intriguingly imagined. And when, yeah, when yeah. sadness and joy get kind of sucked out of the control room and they have to find their way back you know, the, the different aspects of the brain and, and the different brain functions that we all have are represented by, like, these cliffs and these, like, seemingly bottomless, you know, pits. And, and, yeah, and uh, there's, yeah, the, the, there's the memory dump where memories go to be forgotten. Right. And forever, you know. I actually really enjoy the fact that when they're walking around um, the, the core memories part after they get sucked out of the... the headquarters you know you're curious about what's actually uh over the edge of these cliffs you know what's down there 
And sure enough, we're, we get to enjoy that even further when Joy and Sadness actually get, you know, when they fall down into this, these depths and we get to see what's actually at this part of the world that they've created. Well, technically Joy and Bing Bong. <laughs> okay, Bing Bong is the, the imaginary friend, right? Yes, yeah. that, that is uh, Riley's imaginary friend from her childhood. And, uh, and he accompanies them on their journey through the mind. And it's sort of their guide. Uh, and they pass through areas like uh, imagination land and uh, the, the the tunnel of abstract thought or whatever. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they called it, but it's the one where they get abstracted and they almost become, you know. Cubist. <laughs> well, they do become cubists. <laughs> they get further abstracted as the, uh, the cleansing process is happening. Uh Additionally, the train of thought. They ride the train of thought at one point. So it's a lot of very... It's like a big theme uh, park. It is a, It is sort of like a big theme Coming park. Coming soon to Disney World in 2017. Yeah, dreams are made at a, a production studio that's like a movie studio where they bring in all these actors who... Sh- you know, these sort of like little pill-shaped creatures who perform in the dreams, but in the dream, of course, look completely different than they look in... Uh, what it, what is it? It's the reality filter or something like that that they put on the camera that uh, oh yeah 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 that filters it so that it looks real instead of looking like these little bean people walking. Around. <laughs> I I only dream so, about bean people though. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, somebody didn't put the reality filter oh, in the studio in a, your brain. I like bean people. <laughs> yeah, bean people are great. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's uh, as you say, it's very intriguingly imagined, and I think that that's where a lot of the sort of joy of watching this film comes from, is just seeing how it's all put together, like how they visualize these abstract concepts. Yeah, and you know, because Pixar has already proven that they can do brilliant animation of anything, literally. Oh yeah. So it makes sense, and it's it's appealing that they have a great concept that they can wow us with. Not just beautiful animation, but a very kind of cleverly imaginative world. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, do you remember that one, that cartoon they made? I think it was, uh, I think it was for Monsters University, which was like about two umbrellas. Yeah, yeah. And I remember watching that when that film came out and and thinking like, wow, this looks like exactly like a regular representational image. I mean, apart mm-hmm. from the two main umbrellas, which look kind of cartoonish because they have, like, some facial features. But the people walking down the city street in the rain, it was so the, photo... The water itself. Yeah, the photo was so... The, the image was so photorealistic. And I remember thinking, like, wow, why even animate it? <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, they've, they've animated a beautiful world that, that just could not be created, um, you know, without tremendously ridiculous special effects yeah yeah and and as we have learned of late and there's a great article recently i think it was on grantland uh the website grantland that was talking about the fact that uh or or maybe it was film drunk or something like that something uh that was talking about the fact that uh they were talking to the uh in light of terminator genesis having just come out they were talking to the uh special effects people who worked on Terminator 2, which of course was a landmark special effects film. Uh And they talked about the fact that CGI has made people lazy 
and made them unskilled. Not not just lazy, but not skilled. Like they do not. You're talking about filmmakers making filmmakers lazy. No, making the people who work on special effects lazy. Oh, okay. The people who are working on the special effects for a feature film like Jurassic World or Terminator Genesis, mm-hmm. they're, the, the, the special effects look less real now than they did 20 some odd years ago when those movies came out, when the, the first movies in those franchises came out. Right. Right. Or Terminator 2 was 1992, I think, and uh, Jurassic Park was 1993. Yeah. Um, so those were, those were, you know, more than 20 years ago and you watch those films and in most cases, the special effects look better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't, of course, the case with entirely animated films, which have cons- sort of progressed down a path of more complexity and more photorealism, as you say. Um, but, uh, but I think that this is, you know, this is just a testament to the imagination at Pixar that they even would attempt something like this. I mean, you look at some of the other studios who are uh, who are animating, and uh, they're animating people or anthropomorphic animals right. in very real worlds. So you watch How to Train Your Dragon, or you watch Kung Fu Panda, or you watch something like that. It's all trying to look as photorealistic as possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, there's actually there's actually a kind of fascinating look to the emotions themselves where their edges were almost kind of uh, a little bit soft. Yeah, they were, right? they were, uh, Joy in particular was glowing. She had like this aura around her. Yeah, but not just, not just the aura that surrounded her and the sort of the light that she gives off, which made for some spectacular sequences of, of kind of travel, the light traveling with her as she was sort of running up this mountain of all these gray discarded memories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But also the, the when you look at her her body, the edges are very impressionistic. They're like they, they they don't have defined edges, and I think that that was the case for for all of the emotions, or for at least most of the emotions. I remember that, I that about anger in particular. Now that you mention it, like yeah. amber, anger kind of looked kind of like a plush, almost stuffed animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really interesting effect. Um, like really really cool visual visualization and and stuff like that. Um, the film itself, I found touching. I found it to be fun. I found it to be entertaining. It's in, as in all Pixar films, it's a, it's a wild fun ride from beginning to end. They do a great job of sort of encapsulizing everything, encapsulating everything at the beginning, giving you the exposition that you need and then sort of sending you on your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, yes, and this may be heresy. I know that people have jumped on me for this, for talking about Wally, and for talking about Up this way, but I think that this film, just as those films, and I would say most late era Pixar films, with the possible exception of Toy Story three, but everything from about Wally to now, I've felt that the third act of these films is condensed and rushed, and it feels very sudden. The beats feel sudden and they feel unearned mm. and they feel uh, abrupt. And even though they may be touching and the placement of the music in, in particular is very evocative. Michael Giacchino. Oh, yeah. Spectacular score. And it's so evocative that I find myself tearing up. As I mentioned in my opening, I find myself tearing up, watching it, understanding the the emotions that they are 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 getting at in the film, understanding the 
sort of beauty of the, the storytelling and the and the concepts, the, the very adult concepts that they're dealing with right. in this film and, and tearing up as much for the fact that they're even dealing with these concepts as anything else. But uh, as, as you may have guessed sort of from the, the plot description, what the, the ultimate sort of goal of the film is to show you that sadness and joy coexist. They, they exist hand in hand. They do not exist with the absence of the other. One can even... Each of them serves their own purpose, and they are functional emotions. And to a, to avoid one or the other is foolhardy. That's kind of part of the the theme of the film, right? But that, uh, yeah, I I just I found that like the beats in the end, it, it seemed too much like Joy's realizations about exactly what I just described were just abrupt. They were very sudden. There wasn't a gradual shift into that. There weren't a lot of situations they, uh, where, where you're allowed to see her understanding or changing her mind. Mm-hmm. It, the scenes where they, that does happen are beautiful and they're rendered beautifully and, and, and evocatively and touchingly. But it just seems, it just seems so sudden. Do you think that is something that can be fixed or, or changed like to, to sort of um, set the stage for the third act a little bit earlier in the film? Um, make it a little bit more of a gradual increase. Yeah, I mean, I think that that could be part of it. I think that the, essentially what it is is that Phil, uh, Pixar's ambitions are huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with almost every film that they make, their ambition is colossal, and I find that to be wonderful. And I think that they need to not force themselves into making ninety-minute films. I think if they have a two-hour or even a two-and-a-half-hour film, I would love that. I think it would be incredible. I think that, that, that like, I, granted, I understand that these are children's movies and that children's ha- children, children's, children have <laughs> short attention spans and that we have to be sensitive to that. You know, people who are making films obviously have to make it for the target audience, and if the target audience can only sit still for an hour and a half, so be it. But the fact is that the story that is here on display is more than a 90-minute story. Mm-hmm. And and granted, you know, we can only talk about the movie that we actually have and the movie that we actually have. I enjoyed very much and I thought was excellent, as I think almost all Pixar films have been. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't help feeling frustrated at the fact that we didn't make it out of the film with the the the, pa- the pace of the film accelerated as the film progressed. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that as you alluded to in a way there's a dual target audience for Pixar movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think more than other animation studios like DreamWorks or, or or what have you. I feel like Pixar has the reputation that there's, they make movies that appeal to both kids and their parents. So uh, read kids and adults and they, they try to sort of nail it for both groups. And I think with inside out, they do it extremely well, maybe better than ever. And, um, and I feel like this movie really is sort of heavy on the, the adult experience too, because I feel like adults are the ones who are going to have the experience of having to relocate and move and, and have their whole world upended and, and go through these complex emotions, you know, that, that, Riley, the main character, goes through, and um, and you know they're going to have that perspective that 
a -hmm. kid may not. And the kid may just be thinking, oh, look, oh, anger. Look at anger. He's, he's spewing fire. Oh, my God. You know, like the, the anger is getting, getting really upset. And, and they, they're going to be dazzled by the color and the sort of the, the tactile elements, as you say, the way that the characters look, the softness about them. Yeah, yeah. And and they're going to enjoy the story about oh we've got to get back. We've got to get back from where we are back to the headquarters. So there's more than maybe most films um Pixar is trying to appeal to both demographics, but I still Andrew feel like they their bread and butter is kids. And you know, I I just feel like while some of us would find it amazing to watch a two and a half hour animated film the only other one I can think of would be Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings from 1978. I I would disagree with that. Okay. And specifically in light of the hero of John Lasseter, who of course was the founder of Pixar. Uh-huh. His hero is Hayao Miyazaki, the Japanese animator. Okay. We have talked about, we talked about Princess Mononoke on this podcast. And Hayao Miyazaki has made many, many films. And quite a few of them, there are some of them, uh, movies like My Neighbor Totoro or Kiki's Delivery Service, which clock in at about an hour 30 or an hour 40. Uh Sure. And those are primarily aimed towards children. But even movies like Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, as I mentioned, which is not as much a a children's film, and it's a very adult film, uh, or or even something like Spirited Away, the Oscar-winning film that he Mm -hmm. created. Which is a kid's film. It's unquestionably a kid's film. It's got a lot of dark imagery in it and stuff like that. But it's unquestionably a children's film. It's it's over two hours long. It's like two hours and five minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or may, maybe even longer than that. It might be two hours and ten minutes or two hours and fourteen or something like that. But he is he is he is a preeminent animator. Yeah. He makes movies for kids in the same way that Pixar makes movies for kids. But he doesn't shy away from finishing the story that he's telling. If the story is two hours long, he'll tell it at the length of two hours. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And and that's what I feel happened in Wally. I feel like that happened in Up. I feel like that happened in uh, Inside Out. I feel like these are movies that are great movies. Great movies. Absolutely spectacular. Fun. Great movies that get two-thirds of the way through their running time and realize that they have... 30 minutes to wrap it up and they have an hour's left worth of material to, to wrap up in that time. Yeah. Um, the fact that you mentioned those three films all having the same kind of, you know, bothersome aspect. May, I, I guess that's just a part of the, the Pixar style now, you know, like they, yeah. that kind of rushed frenetic, you know, conclusion is kind of what they think that, that they have, what people expected them. And, and, and it saddens me to some extent because uh, one of those movies that I mentioned is Up, this most recent one, also directed by the same guy, Pete Docter. Mm-hmm. He also did Monsters Incorporated, which is the same length. It's a similar length film. It's only 90 some odd minutes. and Or maybe it might even be shorter. But Monsters Incorporated hits every beat of its story right in line. Like it never skips a beat. It never the pacing never feels too long. It never feels too short. It never feels like anything's being compressed for the purposes of finishing the story. It is the story. Mm-hmm. It is, it, 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 it's a, it's a 90 minute story and they tell it in 90 minutes. Yeah. And you know, I, I feel like I'm harping on this a little much just because I'm 
you know, I've been the one more often than not in this podcast to say, you know, you can only review the movie that you are given, right? And this is the movie that we're given. And as I say, <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of it. I, I really like that they're dealing with these concepts. I really like the way that they have visualized the world. I really like the performances by every single voice actor in this movie. Uh, can't tell you how much I love Richard Kind and uh, everything about him, especially in A Serious Man, where... <laughs> His performance is like the best thing about that movie. Um, one of the great things about that movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd call it the best thing. Yeah, it's not the best thing. It's great. I mean, that whole movie. The Mentaculous. But, <laughs> the Mentaculous. Uh, but, there, I mean, there's really nothing that I dislike about this film, except I just felt that those r- resolutions came suddenly and conveniently for the purposes of moving the plot forward and that's that's what bothered me about this and as you say it's it's like late era pixar it's it's a problem that i see that they have and it and it it does bother me a little bit because i'm such a huge fan of pixar and i have been since day one well you know andrew you don't have but a few short months before you can get another uh taste of what pixar is which up is to also now. crazy this is the first year that they've ever released two films in the same year it is weird it's weird. And what's more, Inside Out was the first time they ever advertised with... I, I was actually terrified that it was going to be a terrible film. Yeah. Because they advertised the voice actors in it instead of just showing a trailer for the film. And they had never done that before. They had never once advertised, at least in America, anything but just the film. Not even for Monsters Incorporated? No. The, mon- the trailers for Monsters Incorporated were just about the movie. Huh. It didn't say featuring John Goodman and Billy Crystal, but this one it was like featuring Amy Poehler, yeah. Mindy Kaling, you know, Louis Black, like you know, down the line. It it wasn't. I, I was terrified that it was going to be bad, so I can't tell you how pleased I was <laughs> that it's as good as it is, and it is excellent. It's a ton of fun. It's super interesting, and. You know, I can't really say that much bad about it except for this one caveat that I have that seems to be repeating itself in Pixar films. And I maybe it's because I hold Pixar to such a high standard mm-hmm. that I have this issue. But Does it give you some sadness? You're going to keep harping on that, aren't you? <laughs> well, you're harping on that thing. Maybe, maybe it gives me disgust. Maybe <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I hear where you're coming from. And I know it comes from a place of love. It does. And, and wanting to wanting Pixar to be the best Pixar it can be. Yes. And it's it's doing great though. It's doing fine. Absolutely. Um, I I am a fan of the film. I think it's it's one of the highlights of the year, without a doubt. Um, mm, it's yeah. just uh, it. I really identify with the adult aspect. Both both. Riley's not an adult, but I, I empathize with her struggles, her her, mm-hmm. the, her serious problems that she's having in a film that is mostly lighthearted. And I also understand where the parents are coming from, too, that she has to you know, grow up with and, and what causes a family to move and what happens when you know, people are being distracted by their job and they're not as, as, as much there for their family as they used to be. And, and being the new kid in town in general is difficult. I, for one, moved three days before high school started. So that I moved out of state. So that was, you know, that was difficult. And 
I can sort of that it it strikes a chord, and these kinds of like real world problems that are kind of realistic that happen to people in you know photorealistic fiction films is is very grown up. I mean, if you look at Monsters Incorporated um, or Monsters University, yeah. you know, it's like the the idea, the main sort of conceit that the characters are of what they're going through, it's not based in reality. It's not based in the in the representational world that, that we all live in. Uh, in in the case of the monstrous films, it's you know they need to scare, they need to learn how to be scarier, you know, so that they can keep scaring kids. Right. Uh, whereas in Inside Out, it's you know a new girl needs to learn how to adjust in a new town. I mean, that's not like a whimsical, fantastical idea. It's just no, straight no. up, you know, realistic. Um, but they do a nice counterbalance of that kind of realism with, as we talked about, uh, creating these abstract worlds that are very whimsical and, and, and beautiful to look at. And, and that's why I think more, perhaps more than any other Pixar film that I've seen, I feel like Inside Out caters to both audiences as I mentioned, yeah. the adults and the kids. There's really there's a, a plethora of things to enjoy for either one of them, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love that they are even embarking on that quest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that they're even attempting it. Maybe, maybe I, the reason why they, they did advertise the voices, Andrew, is because they really do want to reach out to the Saturday Night Live crowd and people who know who Louis Black is they want to bring right. in those adults because how many little kids are going to be like, oh, look, mommy, it's a new Pixar. Oh, and Bill Hader's in it and Mindy right. Kaling. <laughs> like, you know, they're not going to care. But Pixar is reaching out to those hip parents and those, you know, 20-somethings who know who these actors are to bring them into the theater. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes perfect sense to me. And I applaud them uh, for doing that. I mean, I watch I watch these other films and even the best of the other animation studios with a few exceptions of excellent films that have come in the last 10 years or so, like monster house, which I think is a, a, a magnificent film. <laughs> uh, but with, with a few exceptions, uh, you watch like a DreamWorks animated film and they're excellent. They're a lot of fun. They're good movies, but the, the resolutions and the morals seem so contrived and so, by the book and it, they don't seem organic. It seems like it's that it's, it's just being pushed so hard yeah. on us. And that's unfortunate because they, they could be exploring really adult emotions and themes and, and the like. And Pixar has always been good about those things. I mean, watching toy story three is like a, a emotional, yeah. you know, it just turns me into a mess of a human being because it, it deals with such adult things themes and emotions and it's so expertly crafted mm -hmm. and i i can't think of a single dreamworks animated film for instance that comes even close to that level of emotional complexity yeah and so that's that's why you know again i maybe i hold pixar to a higher standard because i know what they're capable of <laughs> and they and they and they achieve it almost every time out of the gate with the possible exception of cars 2 and monsters university which are both i think reasonably disposable what about planes well that was the curious thing about that is that it wasn't done by pixar it was done by disney animation studios oh okay 
which which isn't technically Pixar, but it was clearly it's from the Cars universe. Yeah. And because John Lasseter is the head of animation at Disney, he it oversees both Pixar and Disney animation now. So there's clearly some back and forth happening. Right. And of course, Disney animation has become, you know, they, they've done Frozen and Tangled and they've they've become their own powerhouse once again. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I I don't count that as a Pixar film. <laughs> All right. Fair they, enough. <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> Disney Animated Studios film, but uh, yeah, the that their catalog is so strong, and so I I just I want them to knock it out of the park every time, and 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 when I criticize this film, it's it's small criticisms overall. Yeah, yeah. Well, we shall wait and see if the good dinosaur lives up to your expectations and your standards. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Please join us for our next episode when we will be talking about the new documentary, Kung Fu Elliot, which we actually said we were going to be talking about a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we didn't end up talking about because of scheduling issues, because we are going to be talking with the actual filmmakers themselves. Yeah. The folks who made Kung Fu Elliot, this new documentary are going to be on the show to talk with us. We're super excited about that, and we hope that you are super excited about that as well. Hopefully there will be a lot of great insight into the film. Uh, So please join us for that episode, and we will see you next time. See you then.